Good morning, and welcome to this worship service where we come together to worship our God and King. I invite you to stand and join me in the call to worship, which may be found in your bulletin. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Almighty God, who reigns over everything in wisdom, power, and love, we adore you for your glory and majesty, and we praise you for your grace and truth to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grant us the help of your Holy Spirit that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen.
Wow, what a great inspiration, Charles Wesley's words of what God has done for us. It is great to see you as we gather for worship today and give praise and honor to our Lord. Before you're seated, I want to encourage you, take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship. Perhaps meet someone that you haven't met before as we come together in worship today. How many of you love ice cream? All right. Well, I hope to see you tonight because we're going to have some ice cream and a chance to fellowship and um, share a little bit of food. It's an opportunity maybe to connect with some folks that you haven't had the opportunity to do so over the course of the the last uh, months as things are winding down a little bit for us. That's an opportunity to get together, connect, to share some fellowship and eat some ice cream. So we hope you'll join us tonight. We'll begin at 6. Come and go as you want. And we'll be in the community room uh, directly below the san- behind the sanctuary here. Uh, next Sunday, we can gather for worship at 8.30 and 11. And uh, there are always a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Uh, needs that are a part of our lives. Needs that are part of the greater world that uh, we feel compassion and burdens about. And we want to pray for those uh, as we pray today and throughout this week. We do want to celebrate uh, the birth of Finley Reynolds Butine uh, last Saturday, and uh, we are rejoicing with John and Kaylin at the birth of their child, and also with Dave and Jane Butine and Rich and Sherry Reynolds, Reynolds their grandson. Uh, and so we, uh, we give thanks to God for this gift of new life again. We also want to congratulate uh, the, uh, those uh, academy graduates from yesterday, and uh, we pray God's best upon them as they move to the next place in their lives. A little bit later in the service when we come together for prayer, as we've done uh, for quite some time, the altar will be open. And it just struck me this week that perhaps uh, there maybe this is a time of year when transitions are especially uh, on our minds. Maybe transitions in our own lives or the potential for that. Maybe transitions of people we love and care about. and, And there is a certain amount of uncertainty and anxiety about those transitions or just simply asking for God's grace in the midst of them. And uh, so the altar is open. If you'd like to come and pray about that, I invite you to do so when we pray in a little bit or about any burden or need that's on your heart or mind. The Old Testament scripture reading for this morning is Jeremiah 31, verses 3 through 9. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with, joy, with joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Sion, to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble, because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to stand for the Gloria Patri.
our Father, you have invited us to come boldly to your throne of grace. We thank you for this privilege. We come now to give from our hearts of gratitude our gifts to you. Use them to extend your kingdom in this world and use us to be faithful in every area of life that through our lives, as well as our gifts, people shall come to know Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. the opportunity to offer our prayers together to God. And as we pray, if you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Almighty God, you have made the mountains and the hills and the valleys. You have created the seas. You've created the birds of the air. And you've created us. And we come today with our hearts full of gratitude for who you are and what you've done for all the gifts you've given us. Father, we also come and acknowledge that we have often corrupted your gifts. We have used the things you've given us for our own end. And we ask that you will forgive us. We pray, Father, that you will help us to know you as the God of grace and love and truth and mercy. And that we will surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we know that we live in a world that is filled with pain and heartache and death and destruction, insecurity and fear. 
And so we lay all this before you. Heal our broken bodies. Restore our minds that find it difficult to understand. Reshape our hearts into the image of Christ. Lord, we pray that you will heal our broken relationships and forgive us for the ways in which we hurt each other. Lord, as life moves forward, transitions are a natural part of it. Some of them are good and we celebrate them, like graduations, weddings, new accomplishments, tasks completed. Others are more painful for us. Uncertainty about our jobs. Insecurity about the unknown. Wonderings about where life's next turn will go. In all of them, Father, we need you. Reveal your will to us and your direction and give us courage to walk in it. And help us to know whether the transitions are for us or others, whether the transitions seem positive or negative. Let us know in a profound way your presence and give us grace to trust you every step of the way. Father, we thank you for your mercy in our lives. We thank you for all of your gifts which we are undeserving to receive. Thank you for your love poured out to us and to this world. Continue to shape us into the image of Christ. Continue to draw us closer to yourself. And we ask all of this, all of our prayers, those spoken and unspoken, in the name of Jesus. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our New Testament scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 through 23. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asked, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, 
I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. This is the word of the Lord. What's the most memorable meal you've ever eaten? Give me a chance to ponder that for a second. Where were you? What did you eat? Who was there? Why is it so memorable to you? There's something about great memories that seem to be, in one way or another, connected to food. The memories of of sitting around a table, eating together, sharing a meal. And, And there's something about a meal and eating together that breaks down barriers between us. You can have a completely different conversation around a table with food than you would have if you brought the same people together... And you didn't have the table and you didn't have food. There's something about the food that that causes us to to be a little freer and to break down those walls and those barriers that often arise between us. 
in the ancient world and, and even in places today, to share a meal with someone, and particularly to invite them to eat a meal with you, was to declare to everyone around you, this is my friend. And if you invite an enemy to come and eat with you, you are making a, a clear statement that you would like the cha- a change in their relationship from enemies to friends. I wonder if that's not why the religious leaders are so upset with Jesus that he eats with tax collectors and, and sinners and prostitutes. Because it's one thing for Jesus to say, I, I like these people and, and, and I, I came to help them. It's a whole other thing for him to sit down and eat a meal with them, declaring, these are my friends. These are people who are important to me. These are people I came for. And I want everybody to know that. I'm not ashamed of it for a moment. And in that culture, scandalous. So it's intriguing to me that on the last night before Jesus goes to the cross, he sits down at a table with his disciples. And at this table, they eat this meal together. And Jesus has something to say to them that can only be said around a table. Something about his friendship with them and his passion for them and his desire for them. The NIV uses the term, Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And really, the word eagerly and desired are, are the same word in Greek, just different forms of it. It's so emphatic. What he really is saying, literally, with desire, have I desired to eat with you. There is this yearning, this passion in him. That exact phrase is used in Genesis 31, when Jacob and his family is heading back to his homeland. And and Laban didn't get a chance to say goodbye to them, and he's a little bit upset with some things that have happened. And he, he, he comes and finds them, and he says to Jacob, I know you long to be back with your family. I know you have this deep, deep desire to be with your family. There's an aching in you to get back to them. And we know that feeling. You know that, that you're lonely, you haven't been around people you love, and, and to, have, to know that you might have the opportunity to see them. There's this yearning that wells up within us to see your grandchildren or your grandparents or your children or your parents or your best friend, and you haven't seen them for a long time, and something in you, it's just this yearning to see them. It's also the word Jesus uses in Luke 15 when he tells the story of the prodigal son who is so hungry so desperately hungry that he's thinking seriously about eating the pig food. And interestingly enough, it's the word used in the last of the Ten Commandments, do not covet. It's one thing to look at your neighbor and say, wow, nice car, be nice to have one of those. It's something else entirely to have this deep, inner yearning in your being to have that car and to do anything to get it. And Jesus says to his disciples, sitting around this table, I have this deep, deep yearning for you. I am so glad that we've had the opportunity to eat this meal together. Why? Well, John begins chapter 13 of his gospel, in which he introduces this evening. And he says that Jesus, having loved his disciples as his own, yearning for them in love and wanting them to know that. And it's, it's not a coincidence that he says this about the Passover meal. This is a meal that commemorates God bringing his people out of Egyptian slavery. And Jesus has talked, said to his disciples and others many times that he is the good shepherd who watches the sheep. On this night, he says to them, I'm also the sheep. And tomorrow, you're going to see the full extent of my love as I go to the cross for you, for us. 
But as Jesus sits at this table with his disciples, it's not just about this meal. It's also a symbolic act that describes God's feelings for us. It's not just about Jesus' feelings for these 12 men. It's about God's feelings for you and me. Because as Jesus yearns to eat with them and to have intimacy with them through this meal, God yearns for that for you and me too. One of the most tragic things, uh, gut-wrenching parts of the story of Adam and Eve, when you come to chapter 3 and they have, they have disobeyed God, and that night God comes, as he seems to have done every day, to walk with them. And they're hidden. They've run off and, hot and, and hid. And, and they no longer have that opportunity to be in intimacy with, with God. And from that moment on, God has been doing everything in his power to help us know the desire for intimacy that he has with us. The yearning deep in his being for us. It's the message he sends to to Noah and to Moses and to the people of Israel. It's the word of the prophets over and over and over again. My people, come back to me. As Jeremiah says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And ultimately, Jesus is, is, is the moment when God says, this is how much I want you. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to be a continual witness to us, to continually speak into our souls about God's desire for us. When I think about that God's yearning for us. And I hear Jesus saying, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. I have this eager desire for intimacy with you. What comes to my mind is, is that feeling you get when you're about to do something you have waited to do and you're anticipating doing and you can't wait to get to. And, and the, the waiting of that is, is, is so hard because there's so much anticipation. There's a commercial I saw, uh, it's for Disney. And uh, this little boy, maybe three years old, go, walks into his sister's room and says, are you asleep? She says, no. He jumps up on the bed and they start talking. So what do you think it'll be like? And she says, well, mom says, it's going to be more magical than we can imagine. It's going to be so awesome, it, more than we could dream. And as they're talking about the next day, their mom sticks her heads in the door and says, guys, you got to go back to bed. And the little boy falls back on the bed and he says, we're too excited to sleep. And it may sound odd to our ears, but I'm convinced that there is something in the heart of God that so wants intimacy with us. That in the anthropomorphic language that we use to describe God, he's too excited to sleep. Because he anticipates relationship with us and he wants it so desperately. He yearns for us to be in relationship with him. He yearns for us to know his love and his grace and his mercy and to know him. We have a hard time seeing that. There's something in the back of our minds that wants to believe that God puts up with us because he has to, not because he wants to. Something in us wants to fight the idea that, that God would ever be really excited about being with us. And yet, over and over again, he keeps telling us that he is. He keeps telling us that that I want to know you in a deeper way than you can really dream or imagine. I I want that kind of intimacy with you and I'm anticipating that and it, it brings great joy and excitement to me to think about it. And he's trying all kinds of ways to communicate that to us, but we have a hard time hearing it. Because, you know, we, we think to ourselves, well, I've sinned too much or, 
I've made that sin too many times or I've, I've walked away too much. And we feel like God is probably just on the verge of throwing up his hands and saying, I've had it with them. The same way we do that with other people. I give up. And yet the scriptures tell us that God is relentless in pursuing us and in knowing us and in wanting us to be known by him. It's just hard to get through to us. It, it's, it's as though, it's like we would try to tell a, a little baby, a little toddler, how much we love them. And how important they are to us. And we hug them, we feed them, we take care of them, we do everything we can. But we know as adults, they, they really don't understand how much we love them. You know, actually, probably a better example of that would be with our pets. Now, if you're not a pet owner, it's probably hard for you to understand. But, you know, if you are, you get it. Our, our little dog we've had for almost 12 years, Hobbs. And honestly, Hobbs is part of our family. And, you know, he's, he's kind of like our third son. They would probably tell you he's the favorite son. And, you know, I, I threw up a couple of pictures here, and I can tell you this. Our boys didn't start driving at this young of an age, I can tell you that. He probably is the favored one. But, you know, we try to, help, try to, to communicate with him how much we love him and how important he is to us. And how much we, we enjoy having him in our family. But we know he, he can't quite get it. He just can't comprehend it. And you take that and you multiply that a billion times. And, and that's God communicating to us. And it's hard for us to get it. But God doesn't stop communicating it to us. In every way possible, God is communicating to us his love, his grace, his desire for intimacy with us. And one of the ways he does that is this table. This table is, is, is a reminder of God's grace to us, of God's desire for intimacy with us. Just as Jesus sits around the table with his disciples, we gather at this table to hear God's word to us. I love you. I care for you. You are so important to me. I, I anticipate our moments together. I want you. Sometimes I think we, we have a hard time grasping that because we have too often made this table about us. We talk about, am I worthy? Have I, have I prepared myself enough? Have I, have I lined up all the, uh, of my spiritual ducks so that I'm, I can come to this table? And there is certainly a place for preparation. There's a, the, the church for centuries has talked about the need for confession before taking the sacrament, and we're going to pray together a prayer of confession in a little bit. But sometimes we're so enamored with our side of it, and we ask those questions, and honestly, the answer is no, no, and no. We're not worthy. We, we don't measure up. We can never get our spiritual ducks in a row. And that's why Wesley called this a, a means of grace. It's a means of God expressing to us his love and his mercy through Christ. His broken body and his shed blood as God who wants us to know how much he yearns for us. Gives us this table to draw to our attention the depths of his grace. And what's interesting I find is that when you begin to 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 be infused by the grace of God at this table, the most natural response is to want to open your heart to God. The most natural response to, to recognizing all that God has done for us and the grace of God is to then turn this table into, as much as we can, uh, our, our desire for God. And, and, and as a moment when we say, God, as much as you want me... Uh, I want you. And what more, how more open could we be than to simply surrender our lives to him? 
And even this table isn't just about us today. The table, Jesus sits at the table with his disciples. He says, this is the last time I'm going to drink of the vine until that day. And someone pointed out to me something I had not noticed before. Maybe you have, but in Revelation 3.20, a verse that we often talk about with people when we're sharing the gospel with them and, and, and coming to Christ, that the context of this is that Jesus, the risen Christ, is talking to the church at Laodicea, and they're, they're having a real struggle. They're lukewarm, and, and they're, they're burdened, and you know, they're, they're not doing what they ought to do. And, and come to verse 20, and, and Jesus says, Behold, look, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in with him, and I will eat with him. And here you have Jesus connecting intimacy with him and the meal. And when we move on through the book of Revelation, one of the the great images that John gives us about what it will be like in eternity is what we call the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're all going to gather around this eternal table to eat and to enjoy the amazing blessing of intimacy with God. I think sometimes when we, when we think about the table, there is in the back of our minds this image of, of, this, of a long table that you might see in a castle somewhere in Europe. You know, you have a husband at one end and a wife at the other end and, and the table's so long and there's so much stuff between them. They couldn't talk to each other if they wanted to. But actually, the, I think a better picture is just your home and my home. It's just family. Sitting around a table, something like this. The father at the head, maybe carving the meat and And mom passing the the dishes full of green beans and mashed potatoes and asparagus and fruit and salad. And and, and all the while, we're talking and sharing life together. Because at the table, there is intimacy. Our holy God wants us to know That he desires, he yearns intimacy with us. And he wants us to understand that so that it gets into us and changes us.
confession is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Most gracious and loving Father, we cannot hide or deny our sin any longer. By our self-centered decisions and our self-centered disobedience, we know that we fall short of your glory. We see how we hurt one another. We hear your children's cries for help, but do not respond. We feel the burden of sin all around us, yet we are so focused on ourselves that we give little time or energy to others. We doubt your unconditional love for us and your everlasting desire for us. Father, forgive us. Turn us from self-focus to Christ-focus. Open our eyes to see and hear your passionate yearning for us. Lead us in the way everlasting through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for your forgiving grace. For your mercy and love poured out upon us. Father, we... We pray for your grace on the bread and the cup that we are about to partake. We pray that they will be food to our souls and a message from your heart to ours of your desire for us, of your yearning for us, of your, your holy anticipation intimacy with us. Father, let the bread and the cup be blessed by your spirit. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. And he gave thanks to the Father in heaven And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take this, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. A couple things I wanted to accomplish through how we're taking communion this morning. I think when we sit at the table, we are so accustomed to to food just being there, that we don't often think about how it got there. That we are a part of, in the words of Wendell Berry, the Agricultural Act. And so one of the things I wanted to do is I thought about Jesus and the time that the gospel writers give to telling us of the preparations that are made and, and the ways in which Jesus does that. And they go out of their way to make sure we know that someone made that bread and someone made this bread. And so Priscilla Beardsley has baked all of the bread that we are eating today. And just, just a reminder that this is a gift of God as he uses the gifts of his servants. I was also trying to think about how we might recreate the atmosphere of table. It's a little hard in this setting with long pews and the way we, this, this space is designed to have a table like this. But we came up with the idea of having a a little roll for each row of people. And what I want to ask you to do is as the row comes, the bread will be given to the in-person of your row, and you pass it to the people in your row, and when everyone has torn off a piece of bread from that roll, then you eat together. 
and just eat as a row. And each row will eat uh, as a row. And do that as you're ready to do that. And with the cups, we'll do the same thing. I, I do want to say to you that with the cups, I think the easiest thing is if you're the person on the end of the row, take the tray and hand it to the person next to you and then take your cup and let them hand it to the next person and take that cup and as, so you're not holding the tray and a cup at the same time. But, but the goal of this is to, is to just be reminded that you know, we, we sit at the table of the kingdom and we're a little piece of that. And people all over the world are, are sitting at the table. Someday we're all going to sit down together. And this is just a precursor of that. And even to break that down into a smaller section of table. As we sit and we connect together. And we experience together the grace and the mercy of God. I also like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with a desire to receive God's grace and a desire to be open, to reciprocate God's grace, then receive these gifts, take them with gratitude and joy from the hand of our gracious and loving Father. I invite you to stand for the closing hymn as we uh, again offer our hearts to God to song.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.